0: Good morning. Good Good to see everyone here. Good to get together. Thank you for leading us in worship. Let's go ahead and pray before we look into God's Word. Father, we just thank you for this time of the service. We thank you for the worship that we were able to partake in and that we were able to direct to you because you're worthy of all worship. And Lord, we pray now that you would open our eyes to your scriptures to the wisdom that is behind the scriptures and help us to grow in love with you and to grow as far as helping others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> you know, being successful or being a success, of course, is something highly valued in our society. And we like to think of ourselves as successful, you know, in our careers, in our marriages, the raising of our families, the handling of our finances, when we make major decisions, when we choose choosing the right friends. And we feel good when others notice our successes, don't we? Now, You know, as far as our family is concerned, Laura and I will go to free church conferences, or denominational conferences, especially the the ones that are for, for the whole denomination. And the speakers at these conferences, of course, will be very successful pastors. They'll be maybe outside the denomination, that people know, they've read their books, They've heard their their sermons on the radio. And they've often written books about their success. And one successful pastor, he's made so much money off of a book that he wrote that he ended up giving back all his salary that he had received from the beginning of his ministry at that church and then refused to take any more salary because he was so wealthy already. Now, I want to be quick to say, I like the books that these successful pastors write. I like hearing them speak at conferences or listening to their sermons when I'm able. And they often seem to be extra good thinkers. That's kind of what brought them up to that level that they, they work off of or they, or they ma- ministry off of. Um, And, of course, that's why they've achieved their level of success, because of that extra talent or extra good thinking, way to think through things. But then guess what happens? Now, you may be thinking, I'm going to say something like, well, because of this person's prominence, he fell into immorality, or he became too proud, and his church had to fire him. And that... Does happen sometimes, but that isn't what I was going to say. What I was going to say was you have these pastors that kind of become celebrities in a sense, and they are greatly gifted by God, and they do serve their churches and serve the communities, you know, in a big way. And you think about, you know, everybody knows their name, and you've read their books, maybe, and you think of that success. And then I read some stories from the Voice of the Martyrs magazine. And wow. And you see the things that those pastors go through. And you see, you hear, you read the stories and you just see their bravery and their faithfulness, and their humility, and their love of Christ that carries them through difficult, difficult times. They get put in jail. Some of them get put just in containers. And they spend days or weeks. And sometimes they don't get very much food. And sometimes they get beaten. So when you think of that, you know, you think of these pastors that in our country are living very well, and no, that's no blame on them. They're very, they're very talented. And you think of these Voice of the Martyrs pastors. What is God's pathway to success? Well, we're going to look at that this morning as we look in the book of Acts. And just to kind of bring you up to speed, last week we saw Stephen, an amazing follower of Christ, and he had to go before the Jewish high court. And I want to just show you real briefly a few verses that will just bring it back to our minds, what Stephen went through. It says, now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Stay there. Well, then, you know, the Jewish authorities had people give false statements against Stephen. They claimed he blasphemed God and Moses, which wasn't true. Then they had Stephen speak and answer those charges. And if you remember last week, Stephen really let go on that. I mean, he gave it to them. He told them exactly who they were. He spoke to them as he was filled with the Spirit of God, it says. So the Spirit of God led him to say those things. They were true things, but they were harsh things that he told those wicked leaders. He told them the truth and about how corrupt they were. He told them that they were just like their ancestors. As he goes through the history of Israel and how all during that time when God would send them leaders like Moses and others... They would always resist their leaders. He says they resisted the Holy Spirit. Always going against the will of God. Things that God had provided for them to lead them, they would resist. Choosing their own selfish ways over God's will. And every time God sent them a leader, they rejected that leader. All through their history. The Jewish high court became so angry at Stephen's spirit-led speech... That they rushed at him finally, dragged him outside the city, and stoned him to death. Now we read that last week, and all of that was according to God's plan. Not that God wanted the Jewish religious authorities to hate and kill Stephen. God was just arranging the elements there to uh, arranging the circumstances, so that Stephen would be able to speak before the authorities. And then that happened to him where they dragged him out and killed him. And then we might ask on this, why did God allow the religious authorities, the evil religious authorities, to put this good man Stephen on trial? Why would God allow such a valuable servant like Stephen to be killed so early in the church's life. You know, the church had just started months before. Wouldn't it be better to use Stephen and have him continue to live and do what he was doing? He was doing such a great work for the young church. I mean, it says that he was doing miracles and signs. He was a great speaker. He was bold. He was dedicated. He was a servant of God. Well, we will see as we look into Acts chapter 8 this morning, we're going to look at God's unique pathway to success. And we're going to be picking up from where we left off last week. So we're going to be into uh, Acts chapter 8 in the first three verses. And it says, On that day, A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. That's when they took Stephen out and killed him. And that just kind of opened the floodgates for persecution. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Judea was the bigger area where Jerusalem was, and Samaria was the next, right north of them. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, who became the Apostle Paul later, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So what do we have going on here? Well, before Stephen stood before the Jewish high court the infant church of Jesus Christ had been gaining thousands of followers, thousands of converts from Judaism over to Christianity. And the apostles were preaching to these people the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And people were listening, and people were responding, and they were coming to join their group. The apostles were witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus like Jesus said they would. And they were performing miracles, and they were caring for each other. And they were healing injuries and diseases, and people were responding positively, coming to become part of the church. And then as we read a minute ago, they arrested Stephen. They get so angry at his speech, they take him out and stone him. And then that unleashes this enormous wave of persecution against the church. Everyone in the church scatters, as it said, throughout Judea and Samaria. Stephen is buried and mourned. He's gone. And Saul is going after the followers of Jesus like a maniac. He's grabbing everyone he can, takes them to prison, men and women. So as we look at this and how things are transpiring, it doesn't really look like a successful plan or very good results. You know, Stephen, did get to speak his mind? He spoke the truth. But then they kill this extremely valuable servant of God, this very productive servant. Then that unleashes this gigantic wave of persecution. The Jerusalem church scatters throughout Judea and Samaria Stephen is laid to rest, and Saul is filling the prisons with believers. So what is God up to? What is God's idea of success? Well, that's what we're going to look at, God's unique pathway to success. So let's look at these next few verses, verses 4 through 8. It says, those who had been scattered, all the believers who took off, preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came came out of many, And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So those that were scattered preached the word wherever they went. And, you know, it wasn't like maybe we would do it today, or like maybe I would do it if I were leading, I might say, hey, you, you think we ought to start spreading the gospel message past, you know, Jerusalem? Where do we start? Well, how about a three-year training program? We'll send out 10 a year. And in 10 years, we'll have 100 people out there. Yeah, but what if nobody wants to go? What do we do then? I'm just imagining me thinking it through. But what does God do? He puts Stephen in a certain place at a certain time. He is specifically chosen for that instance. And Stephen speaks out, as he does, boldly for the Lord. That's just who he is. Evil men kill him, thinking they will stop his influence and stop the message. Then the believers take flight... And everywhere they went, the gospel was preached. And we see one person, Philip, in a city in Samaria. And Luke is just using him as an example of what's going on. And and he proclaims Christ as the Messiah. And crowds kept coming. Evil spirits were cast out. The paralyzed and the lame were healed. Great joy in the city, God's unique pathway to success. But it doesn't end there. Now Philip meets the most powerful and revered man in the city. Everyone is under this man's spell, but his power is through what we might call maybe black magic. So let's see what happens when Philip meets this person in verses 9 through 25. as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself, the sorcerer, believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's what happened when the church was in its infancy. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So Simon the sorcerer was the one everyone looked to. And, you know, he was using some form of magical arts. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but whatever it was, everyone was enamored with him. He was the great power of God. That was his title that people gave him. And he had a long-running reputation. The Bible says he was there a long time. But then, when Philip came and proclaimed the word of God, the news of the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they turned to Philip and got baptized into the Christian faith. And Simon even got baptized. He began following Philip everywhere. So just think of how unlikely that scenario is. Who could have even dreamed up that scenario? Simon was known as the great power of God. He had this long-standing tradition and, and followers and people that really exalted him. He must have seen in Philip the true power of God. I mean, here he was, this powerful man. And people were following him and listening to him and exalting him. And he sees Philip and he follows him. He must have seen the true power of God in some way. It says he was astonished by the great signs and miracles that that Philip would do. And he followed him everywhere. It's all a part of God's unique pathway to success. Maybe we'd say God's unlikely pathway to success. You know, in the early church, when a new group would turn to Christ, it talked about the apostles going, laying their hands on them, and the Holy Spirit would come. You know, today we know that when somebody turns to Christ, the Holy Spirit takes residence in that person. That's the way it works today. In the early church, when a new group would come into the church, into the young church, a different ethnic group, like Cornelius's, you know, people, the apostles would show up, a representative from the apostles would show up and lay their hands and the Holy Spirit would come and that kind of kept the church all one. The apostles, the Bible says that the foundation of the church was the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. And so they wanted to keep it all one. So in those early days when a new group would come in, the apostles would come, lay their hands, and then they would receive the Spirit at that time. It stressed that all the different kinds of people from all different walks of life were coming in and were all becoming one in Christ. Now, what about Peter's harsh words with Simon when Simon offered him money? Well, you know, there's, there's this debate sort of whether Simon really got saved, now, I believe that Simon was speaking from the mindset that he had been living by for many years. I, I don't think it has to mean that he didn't get saved because to Simon, magical powers were bought with a price. And now he, he now had a lot to learn about what true power was. You know, when a, a lot of people, when they come to Christ later on, they try to operate by the same ways they did before they came to Christ. And sometimes those ways aren't very good. If they're manipulative, they may stay manipulative for a while until they learn they shouldn't do that. If they're brash and they're they're, they're commanding, they may do that, you know, uh, be rude for a while until somebody tells them that's not the way to do it. Because it takes a while for somebody's mind to get renewed you know, into, into Christ's way. Uh, I know a guy who came to Christ out of a very rough inner city lifestyle. You know, gangs, barroom brawls, stealing motorcycles. And he came to Christ in a very dramatic way. And when he got saved, <clears throat> he had all these friends, you know, who were so far away from any kind of thing of religion. And they were just heavy drinkers, brawlers. And they would come to his house, or he'd have one come to his house. And he would tell him to go ahead and sit down. And then he would bring his attack dog that he trained. He trained attack dogs. And he'd have him just laying there by the floor, facing the person, and he would share Christ with him. <laughs> And, you know, that's just the way he thought. He thought, just avoid any trouble here. He said he wanted to make it more meaningful. (laughs) And, you know, it's just my thinking that when some people come to Christ and they're so unfamiliar with Christianity, they can make some pretty wild moves out of ignorance. But, you know, Peter has no trouble setting him straight. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. And Peter's trying to tell him, you're into a whole new life now. Repent of your wickedness. You're full of bitterness and you're captive to sin. Now, I can see why some people think Peter is saying that that Simon has not really come to Christ. You know, the words bitterness, harshness animosity captive to sin looks like he maybe hasn't found freedom yet but I think it is possible that the sorcerer hasn't yet grasped what it means to live in Christ and to be a follower of Christ and how much that changes and how, how soon, how much, how long it takes to change and Peter could be saying that his mindset is one that doesn't know yet what it is to have Christ live in you. So I think it could be either way. And I think when people come to Christ from far away from Christ, far away from any kind of Christian values, we do have to be kind of patient with them and teach them step by step. But let's finish our passage here. It says now an angel of the Lord said to Philip Go south to the road the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace which means queen of the Ethiopians This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship And on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. What are the odds of him reading that passage? In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please. Who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. An angel tells Philip to take a certain road where he now meets this important official in charge of all the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. This man is reading the book of Isaiah, but he was having a difficult time understanding what the passage meant. Philip runs up to the chariot. He's invited in so he can help the official understand the passage and the passage is in Isaiah that speaks about somebody being led to the slaughter like a lamb. Well, just think of Philip being sent down a specific road by the Spirit. Go to the chariot and stay near it. So this eunuch invites him in right away, it seems like. And from this passage, Philip tells him about the good news of Jesus Christ. The eunuch is the one who suggests he gets baptized. And when they come up out of the water, Philip is taken away by the Spirit of the Lord. The eunuch goes on his way to Ethiopia, rejoicing in the Lord. Philip is taken to Azotus and travels about preaching the gospel in all of the towns as he's going to Caesarea. So now we look back over the passage We think about the pathway to success that God lays out for his church at the beginning. The spirit-filled, vibrant Christian named Stephen, so gifted, so brave, so ready to serve, a major worker in the early church, but God uses him to totally rebuke the Sanhedrin, and they stone him. And of course, it seems like This is an irretrievable loss. I mean, it's going to just maybe sink the church. But then all the believers scatter throughout Judea and Samaria. And wherever they go, they preach the word. And so when were they going to go out? Who knows? Boom, they're out. And they're preaching the word everywhere they go. And Philip goes to that city in Samaria. And crowds gathered to hear him just... Think of all this happening when it looks like we're finished. Demons flee. People are freed from demons. Simon the sorcerer comes to Christ. Peter and John come out for them to receive the Holy Spirit. As Peter and John return to Jerusalem, it says they preach in the many cities in Samaria. Philip is sent to Gaza... He meets the Ethiopian eunuch, who's a very important official. Philip leads him to the Lord. He goes home rejoicing. And Philip goes to Azotus, preaching the gospel in all the towns as he's heading towards Caesarea. So not to make light of those extra gifted pastors that I was talking about at the beginning, because I, I certainly have learned from them, I appreciate their ministries, but perhaps our definition of success is too narrow. Maybe God's pathway to success, his pathways to success, are much more varied than we might just automatically think. And maybe God's pathways to success sometimes don't even look like success for a long time. And maybe we might be sometimes confusing success in serving God with success in the American dream. You know, where bigger is better, more famous, more well-known, more elaborate, more impressive, more wealth, more buildings, more land. It really often comes down to faithfulness, And humility, doesn't it? It comes down to willingness to serve. You know, Peter rebuked Simon for thinking he could buy a gift of God. He's thinking on a whole different level, isn't he? Willingness to serve, putting others above ourselves, wanting people to know Christ better, and then I think we, will, we can know for sure that we're on God's pathway to success, even if it doesn't really register in the American success story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures that teach us so much, that teach us what true Christianity is, that teach us all the different ways that you work in different circumstances. And Lord, we don't want to just say there's only one way to do something, one way to serve you. We know that you have different circumstances through which you work. And we're so thankful that you uh, help us, guide us, teach us in the places that we're at. And we pray that we could be faithful, humble, willing servants who just wherever we go, we tell others about you. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.